0: You're listening to the St. John's Diamond Creek Podcast, recorded live each Sunday at St. John's Anglican Church, Diamond Creek. This episode presented by Associate Minister Julie Blinker. Bible reading this morning from 1 Peter chapter 2. Therefore, rid yourselves of all malice and all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander of every kind. Like newborn babies, crave pure spiritual milk, so that that by it you may gain your salvation, now that you have tasted that the Lord is good. As you come to him, the living stone, rejected by humans, but chosen by God and precious to him, But to those who do not believe, the stone the builders rejected has become a cornerstone and a stone that causes people to stumble and a rock that makes them fall. They stumble because they disobey the message, which is also what they were destined for. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are a people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy.
1: So, we've been journeying through the book of 1 Peter and looking at his life you might remember and recall that he was a man who made a lot of mistakes, a lot of big public recording and history forever mistakes. But God used this man and transformed him into a man that was a shepherd for the new churches uh, throughout the Middle East, throughout uh, Turkey and Rome and uh, Israel and many other places to come. We see that part of his message is to be a people that are purposefully waiting, to be holy in that waiting to be obedient as they wait as elect exiles. You might remember some of the messages that have come through so far. And in this particular section, it's a beautiful section of the book, where he's speaking to people as their tribal identity. Like, yes, individually it applies, but he's specifically speaking to them as a group. To understand a lot of... uh, Well, to at least deeper understand some of the things that he says it's important to understand the thinking that they would have had, likely had, in their minds at the time. I'm sure many of you have uh, been on holidays, perhaps for more than a month. And when you've been on holidays or moved away from your home, often we we tend to sort of think, ah, gee, I love being on holidays, but those rolling hills of Nillambic Shire, how I miss them. Oh, that Loki Mervyn coffee, how I miss it. Or in my case, oh, those long, permanently warm beaches of Queensland, how I miss them. (laughs) (laughs) The Maple syrup of Sydney, we've all got something, sorry, Canada, we've all got something right that we sort of long for and we think about when we're away for long periods of time, something that warms our heart. Well, my guess for the people, the elect exiles, is stones would have played a big part. Stones are mentioned a lot in this passage, and we might think pebbles, but let me paint a picture of ancient Jerusalem for you. Every Hebrew living in Israel back then would travel to Israel, to Jerusalem, sorry, once a year. It would take up to 10 days sometimes for them and their people to get to Jerusalem. When they got there, it's a city of limestone They'd be looking at the walls around Jerusalem. We can go to the next, uh, next slide and it will show a bit of a picture. The walls around Jerusalem where they remember, oh, where Nehemiah built and rebuilt, where our people defended our city. Then as you walk into the city and do a bit of trading, it's not too long until you see where King David lived, where his, his palace is still there, again made of stones. And then the peak experience of this trip to Jerusalem is to walk along those stones to the temple of God, a massive and beautiful um, building full of stones. But alas, as the light changes through the day, it goes from a, a bright yellow limestone to a pinky one at the end of the day. Those stones carry the people's history and it's, you can't be there and not, not notice it's a city of stones. When you go into that temple... I won't go into the whole theology of it, but people would go to the outer courts and according to what the priest had told them, they'd buy a pigeon or a lamb or a little animal according to what their sin was that year and also what their income was. And that would be their sacrifice. They'd go into the, uh, the courts. The men usually would go into the inner courts and then they would give that sacrifice to the, whole, to the high priest and the priest would go further into the Holy of Holies. That place contained such presence of the glory of God, but also the priest was in such fear of God in that time that he used to wear a little chain with bells around his ankle as he went in to offer that sacrifice. And that little bell chain would come all the way back out where his other priest friends would sort of be listening for that bell. And if by chance God decided on that day, no, I'm going to strike you down, that wasn't enough, that here the bell had stopped ringing and I'd planned to pull him out to be able to bring him back. I actually don't know if that ever happened, but it showed us that the fear of God and the fear of his presence was intense in that small place, the Holy of Holies. So I suggest... That These are the types of things that would have been in these elect elect, exiles' minds as they think back to home and how things were back in Jerusalem and in their family history. So with that in mind, Peter tells us four things in this passage that we're going to look at. The first thing is rid yourselves, the passage uh, from verse 1 to 3, therefore rid yourselves of all malice, all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander of every kind. It means clean up your inner life, be ruthless, make a sweep of malice and pretense, envy and hurtful talk. You've had a taste of God, God. drink deep of God's pure kindness, and then you'll grow up mature and whole in God. So what this is saying, as those Hebrews would journey to Jerusalem, there were 15 psalms that they would sing each year on the way to Jerusalem. They're called Psalms of Ascent, and that would prepare their hearts to encounter God and have this holy moment with him. Here Peter's saying, like the background to it, you're no longer going to the temple to be made right with God. You are living as a holy people. Therefore, turning from sin and ridding yourselves of evil things are part of your lifestyle. This is something you're doing every day as the people of God. Now you might look at that list and go, Oh, yeah, that seems like a good idea. Yes, yes, no, no, no envy, no malice, no deceit, no hypocrisy. Oh, no, I don't like those things either. But then when it comes to living it out, it's like, oh, gosh, what do we do to turn from those things? Like, yes, God, I agree. I don't want them in my life. Or maybe, I don't know, some of them are kind of fun at times. So it's like, oh, maybe you're wrestling with it. But God says, rid yourself of those things and live a holy life. Now, I want to share an example because what I've noticed is that we're a people that live by faith. So often the first step is we simply choose. We want to rid those things from our life and we choose to walk in a way that represents Jesus in that area. After we've done that, God rewards that faith. He gives us the capacity through the Spirit and the resources of heaven for us to follow through and to be transformed. An example is... At the beginning of this year, when I was planning and did get ordained, I spent some time seeking God and saying, God, I'm about to get ordained. That's a big deal. Can you show me what you'd like me to do in preparation for this day? And I just spent some time reading the word and praying and asking God, what sort of things do you want me to do in preparation for that day? And what kept coming to my mind and in the scriptures as I read was, bless your enemies. Love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. Between you and me, I'm like, oh, bother. Bother. I was hoping for something else. Bother. And so I'm like, I know. I know, I'll check with God. Maybe, maybe it's just coincidence that I'm noticing this a lot. Now yeah, let's start again, God. What do you want me to do? And again, bless your enemies. Love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. Now, I have to tell you, I've never been in a war. Like, you know, I don't have that kind of enemy. But probably like a lot of us, there have been things that have been said that have been hurtful at times. When you think of someone that's, you know, said something that's grieved you, maybe you and I have been offended at times by actions or happenings that have happened in our life. Maybe we kind of... You know, it weighs a bit heavier in our heart when we think of what happened in a particular circumstance. The Bible says to pray for those people, to bless those people, to love them. And so after a while, I thought, yep, he's pretty clearly saying that, and there were three people that came to my mind. And so it took me a while, but I thought, how do I love them? What does it look like to bless them? Praying's easy enough, but blessing is tangible. What does that look like? And because I'm being recorded, I won't go into the full details, but um, I found ways to bless them and to show love to them. And let me tell you that there were three tangible things that came out of that. Number one is the minute I chose to do that, even before the action had happened, the minute I chose to, my heart was freer. There was a weight that had been sitting there that it just lifted, and my heart was freer and had greater joy and greater peace as a result instantly. My, my capacity to love enlarged in that day. The second thing was, well, in one of those cases, reconciliation occurred with the person that I um, had connected with, and a friendship re-began. And it wasn't only special to us, but it was special to the group of people that that person's working with. Like they noticed it, and it pointed to God in our midst, and it greatly encouraged them that this is the kingdom of God right before them. The third thing that it did, it just felt good. (laughs) The results were up to God, but it just felt good to obey God and to bless and love your enemies. I was blessed through ridding myself of malice. Malice, deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander of every kind. Rid yourself of these habits, because ultimately, it's robbing you and others. Second point, as you come to Jesus, he is the living stone. (coughs) Verse 6, so Jesus is the stone which God laid in Zion, chosen and precious as a cornerstone. The cornerstone, as many of you would know, is that foundation stone. Anyone know where it is in St John's Church? (laughs) Apparently it's lost, which... There's a whole history there because no one knows where it is and everyone thinks. Um, anyway, you can ask people after morning tea if you know where the cornerstone of St. John's is. However, the cornerstone is that stone that sits as the very first foundation stone. And particularly in ancient building, it was so important to get it right. The way it was positioned was the way the building would then be built around it. The way it sort of stood, uh, you know, on um, exactly horizontal allowed the whole building to be built right. It was so important to get that foundation stone, that cornerstone, correct. And every building in Jerusalem, and probably still today, every building, every public space, every home, had that cornerstone laid. For Jesus to be our cornerstone, it means to make him our first priority and that solid foundation. Now, for us, often we want, yeah, I've chosen Jesus to be first in my life but what that continues to mean is him to be the cornerstone when we're doing our tax this year God I'm putting you first Jesus I'm putting your principles first as I do this in our marriages in our budgets in our workplace in our neighbors in when I visit my family at Christmas time to honor my parents well But there's lots of different things that come into making him the cornerstone, the foundation in our life. Yet this is the most unshakable and unmovable foundation we could possibly have. And it's setting ourselves up for success and growth in God. It says, Jesus is the cornerstone. On the one side, he will be a stumbling block. People will reject him. His message will cause people to stumble and disobey and fall. But on the other side, those who trust in him will never be put to shame. Jesus as the cornerstone. And here's a great clincher. Where he's the cornerstone, we are the living stones. Now, I've got some little pebbles from St. Michael Yarambat's car park, but I assure you, when they were thinking living stones, they were thinking those majestic limestones of Jerusalem. That would have been the, the founding thought there. And so he says, like Yeah, it's a bit arty there, yeah. Like like the living stones are being built on that foundation, on that cornerstone. You, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual home. How awesome is that? You no longer need to go to that temple. You are the temple of the Holy Spirit. You no longer need to do a 10-day journey to walk to Jerusalem and encounter God. You now are being sent out to the world so people can encounter God as they meet you. They'd become a holy nation, a group of people with Jesus as their cornerstone, their foundation, uh, sorry, who were were living in all nations. Now, for a lot of my school years, I was growing up in Mackay in North Queensland. Has anyone been there, just by chance? Oh, good work, guys. You're putting it on the map. Nice one. So it's halfway between Cairns and Brisbane, and growing up in Mackay in the 90s, There was a lot of fishing and crabbing. We spent a lot of time on dinghies and on the beach playing footy, which means rugby, in Queensland talk. And we were just, you know, we went to the Malaysian takeout every Friday night after tennis, and that was our international experience every Friday night. Mum and Dad loved the nations, and that's how we would experience Malaysia, really, every Friday night. An an Indonesian lady was cooking the Malaysian food, so I don't even... Anyway, it was a combination, fusion food, all the way back then. Now, there was a lady that Mum became friends with. Her name was Brahman. I quite was a big fan of Brahman. And Brahman, one of the things I found fascinating about her was she spoke of things I'd not yet heard of. Beetroot relish. She was such a big fan. None of us knew what that meant, but she made it herself flatbreads and Middle Eastern curries. Well, we thought Malaysia was the international experience, so suddenly there's a whole other array of continents she spoke about, boat cruises. She used to get really angry when the shops were shut on the weekend and it wasn't open in the evening, and that's all I'd known, so I was a bit fascinated by her sort of temper tantrums about how often we were shut. Brahman wore clothes, like flowy clothes, white flowy clothes, You see, Bronwyn was from Sydney. And she'd talk about the theatre and the food and all things Sydney. And I was just fascinated by what Sydney was like. And I kind of was putting a little bit of a picture in my mind based on Bronwyn. She was my movie trailer as a a high schooler about what Bronwyn was like. So in my mind, Sydney had lots of boat cruises. Most people wore flowy clothes that were usually white. Everyone liked beetroot relish, had Middle Eastern uh, food, and the shops were open all the time. Now, some of those things are quite true about Sydney, um, but not all of them. Obviously, that's also Bromham rather than just Sydney, but she was the ambassador to me in North Mackay of what Sydney was like during my high school. Similarly, our lives are the first samples and clues of what God is like to the people around us. As people meet us and talk and, and hear our faith life, they're putting a puzzle together of what God is like. I wonder if we were to do an interview with the people of Nilembickshire and say, what's the kingdom of heaven like based on the Christians you've met? I wonder what they would be piecing together. What kind of picture would they have of the kingdom of heaven based on the encounters and interactions they've had with Christians. It's a powerful story to tell, particularly when we're working in a community and they have interactions with many of us. Now, as I've mentioned a few times, our our church is involved in in an initiative called Love Your Neighbour. And we're loving our neighbours in Chute Street, particularly our business traders. We're praying for them, we're loving them, we're connecting with them. Recently, I heard secondhand, but I heard a story of a group of people that were out dining and eating and uh, in a local place, and they shared with the owners, "We've been praying for you. Here's a little letter to say we're praying for you and we care and we notice you." What I heard was that those people were really astounded. "What do you mean? Well, what can we give you in response? What can we do to say thank you?" And the people were like, You don't need to do anything. We're praying for you because we care. They might want to, um, they might want to, like, it's that sort of conversation. I'm not quoting directly. And so the owners of that shop took the other staff out and said, Come out, staff. The rest of them, come and meet this table of people who are caring for us and praying for us. They were so moved. And that's regularly the stories that I'm hearing. Softened hearts, teary eyes, and people really moved in our local area that someone has noticed them and cared for them. We are how people taste and see that God is good. Us in their lives at the school gates, as we shop, as we walk around, even on our bad days, which is good news, God is working through us. It's not when we're feeling great. It's just us and the Holy Spirit at work in us. So what that means is we need to get out there and talk to people and interact because God is using those times. We can keep moving on the slides. The next one should be... Oh, it stopped there. Okay. The last one is a royal priesthood. So you think those stones are good? It gets better. Not only are you living stones, not only are you the people that are now carrying the history of God's people. In a culture which was increasingly anti-Christian, for example, modern-day Turkey, if you're a business owner that's a Christian, people don't shop with you. There was a persecution now, and there, there likely would have been back then just a growing discontent with those that were believers in Jesus. So publicly, we assume they would have been mocked, they would have been shamed. But in that culture, God honoured them. God says, you are chosen, you are precious, you are a royal priesthood, you are a holy nation, you are God's special possession. The world may say something else, but I say this about you, this is who you are because you are mine. Let that seep in. Isn't that beautiful? That's how God sees us. So you no longer need to go to Jerusalem and buy some offerings and bring it to the high priest for him to work on your behalf. He says, you are now a royal priesthood. You are now, it's way too big, but we, we, <laughs> we corporately are a royal priesthood. We are the ones that are going forth in that same authority to share about Jesus, to minister his love, to to bring people to know him, that presence and fear of God that existed in that holy of holies, that's now in us. It's phenomenal, isn't it? We walk as presence carriers. We walk as people that can share our faith with others. Hmm. I heard recently another story of someone getting a beauty treatment which I think is a great idea, they were getting their nails done. And they had been getting their nails done for a while with a local person. And they just, the local person that was doing the nails, started sharing about some strife that was in their life. And the person getting the nails done shared about, I know that kind of thing. That's happened in my life too. The difference for my life is that I know a God who's forgiven me and loves me. And so I've learned to forgive and love others And they opened up this massive conversation between the manicurist and her about love and forgiveness. And that's an ongoing conversation because the in-relationship, it wasn't the first time they'd ever met. This has been years of relationship growing. But to me, that's what it means. She is a living stone in our shire. She is a royal priesthood, like we are. She represents the Most High King, Jesus Christ. She's an ambassador of the kingdom of heaven. Recently, after our prayer walk, where we prayed in lots of different local areas, um, one of the people got a thank you letter from one of the local education institutions saying, we heard you were praying. I want to thank you for praying, for noticing us, for praying, for caring. We can't thank you enough. And I sort of speak vaguely because I'm trying to be a little bit conf- uh, keep confidence, but... There's this sense of thanks where we might think there's going to be persecution. There's this sense of gratitude and thanks that they've been seen, that we care, that we notice. That's what it is for us to be living stones and for us to be a royal priesthood in our area. These are the types of things. Rid yourselves of all evil. Jesus is the cornerstone of our life. We are like living stones being built into a spiritual home we are a royal priesthood what's the point of all of this the passage goes on to say in verse 9 so that we can declare the praises of him who has brought us out of darkness and into the light we can declare his praises that's publicly and it's privately it's on a sunday morning where you're choosing to praise god and it's at home just daily I make it a habit to praise God thank you God that you are this thank you that you are strong thank you that you know me thank you that you've gone ahead of me thank you that you've provided for all I need for this day God I praise you and as I praise him even if I don't feel I don't wake out of bed, wake up out of bed doing that but as I choose to do it as a habit it grows faith and a flame for Jesus in my heart and that's just a, a daily habit that I've done for a while in it It's part of me praising God and making that one of the habits in my life. Now, we are shortly going to be singing a song called Cornerstone. And, yes, I think that was planned. (laughs) Good work. And um, I want us to sing it this time. Like, yes, we sing it. Yes, we probably mostly know this song. But I want you to think of an area in your life that's a struggle at the moment, something that's a bit of a challenge. And if you can't think of it for your life well think wider for melbourne for a challenge that we pray for for the giffords for the middle east i want you to think of something in your life that's a challenge and in that when we sing that song i want you to make it a prayer god you are the cornerstone i sing and declare that you are the foundation and it's like almost a prayer saying i pray for you to come in into this space and to be the foundation of my life in this space. Come, God, and do that. Often when we sing, we can make that our prayer, we can make that a declaration um, as we sing and, and connect our heart to those lyrics. I'm going to pray, and then we will move into that space. Heavenly Father, what a special thing to know that we are your chosen people, that we are a royal priesthood, that we are like living stones that have built our foundation around you, the cornerstone, Jesus Christ. Lord, I pray that you would fill us with your spirit and allow us to walk in the fullness and the power that you have promised. God, we bring before you our lives, the things we're going into this week and I pray, Lord, that this word would sink in and change us from the inside out for us to make a difference and to declare your praises in the spaces around us.